All right. Good evening, everybody. Good morning for you guys in America. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to uh, preach to you guys today. This is a real blessing. And obviously the world has been thrown a curveball, lots of chaos in lots of areas of life. It's a real blessing that we have God and the Bible to stabilize everything and that we can still open up the Word of God, get instruction, edify one another. I don't know about you uh, guys here in South Africa, the fact that we got some other brothers in Christ joining us from the other side of the world. This is, it's always exciting when we get together uh, around the Word of God. <laughs> but to, to try something like this, to have this joint effort, this is a real blessing. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope this is a, a blessing for everybody today, this, uh, this lesson that we're going to have. If it is, then be sure to thank Brother Adrian Dominguez. He's the one that put all this together. He asked me to do it. This was his idea. Um, if it goes really poorly today, just remember that Brother Adrian asked me to do this, so you can blame him. Uh, but I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And I'm going to use a verse here from the story about the man that got healed at the pool of Bethesda. John 5 and verse 7. is, And I'm just using this verse as a jumping off spot. As you have found the, the link here on our YouTube page, you can see the title of my sermon is, I have no man. I have no man. John 5. And I believe that most of you, all of you, are going to be familiar with this story. There's an impotent man laying at the, at the pool of Bethesda. He'd been there for quite some time, 38 years. You know, we've been on lockdown a month, and we, it feels like eternity, right? Not being able to leave the house. 38 years, this man hasn't walked. This man has watched that water get stirred, and he can never make it to that water. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Verse 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. This man was in bad shape. And when Jesus asked him, Wilt thou be made whole? The first thing this man could think to say, even before saying, yes, I want to be made whole, he told Jesus what the problem was. He lacked a man to fill the role of helping him get to the water. So I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes today about why a lot of families, a lot of wives, a lot of children, are adversely affected because they can say exactly what this impotent man said. They can say, I have no man. I'm lacking a godly man in my life. So if you would join me, let's bow our heads, let's pray together, and then we're going to look at several other verses of Scripture. Father, thank you for this privilege, opening up the Word of God, talking to these men, both here and abroad. Lord, I'm blown away at the interest that people would have to hear from You. 
thank you, God, that during this confusing time, you have stabilized us. You have given us, uh, Lord, all the direction we need to make it through this time. I pray that today, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts as men specifically. Our role as men, God, use this today to build these men up further to be godly men. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, can I ask you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 22? Exodus chapter 22. I want to lay a little groundwork for this sermon today. Sir, I have no man. Why, why was that man in such bad shape? He said, I, I don't have a man that can help me. Exodus 22, and look with me at verse number 22. 22 and 22 in the book of Exodus. The Bible says here, Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. Now, I, I don't think this comes as a surprise to anyone. I know my men have heard me say it before, and I'm sure Brother Adrian has mentioned it in some way or another, that God has a soft spot in His heart for these two groups especially, widows and fatherless. Widows and fatherless. Now, we understand from the term fatherless that we're dealing with orphans. However, when you look at a single mother, right, they are less of the, they're, they're lacking a father in that home. So fatherless is actually a, a more, a, a broader term. But notice in both situations, the man is missing. Now I understand with widows and fatherless, sometimes it's not the man's fault, obviously. The, if, if we're dealing with a widow, the man has passed, we, we can't continue to blame the man. And the same thing if the father has passed, we, we, don't, we, we don't hold it against the man. But there are some situations where uh, the man is to be blamed. The man is missing from that situation. In verse 23, watch how, watch how strict God is about this. He says, If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. God, He really dropped the hammer on this situation. He said, you take care of widows and orphans or fatherless. You take good care of them. And if you don't, then I'm going to teach you folks a nation, uh, I'll teach you folks a lesson as a nation that you'll never forget. Now, I, I believe this with all my heart. It is possible. It is possible for a man to be missing in a home and that can still be a happy home. There are plenty of single mothers raising children, doing the best they can, and they're godly women, and they're raising their children, as I said, by the grace of God to His glory. It is not impossible to make it through life to manage without the man, but it's a whole lot more difficult. A whole lot more difficult. I want to read you guys just a few stats. Please put up with me reading just a couple of comments this is from various, from, from leading research organizations and data collection organizations. Here's what they found. This is all dealing with children that, that don't have a father. 
children that don't have a father. Children in father-absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. Back in 2011, they did this study and they found that in married coupled situations where both mom and dad, 12% of the children lived in poverty compared to 44% of the children that only had a mother in the family or in the home. Also, when it comes to drug and alcohol abuse, the research showed there is a significantly more drug use among children who do not live uh, with, with a father in the home. Children of a single parent home are more than twice as likely to commit suicide, so they say. Another stat, children in grades 7 to 12 who have lived with at least one biological parent, a youth that has experienced divorce, separation, or non-union birth reported lower grade point averages than those who have always lived with both bio biological parents. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. The dad was missing. Crime, as it pertains to crime, I don't think this would be surprising to anyone. But they showed that children ages 10 to 17, let me make sure I'm reading you the right quote. Now let me read this one. A study using data from, they explored relationships between the family structure and the risk of violent acts in neighborhoods. The results revealed that if the number of fathers is low in a neighborhood, then there is an increase in acts of teen violence. And then this one's no surprise either. Being raised by a single mother raises the risk of teen pregnancy, marrying with less than a high school degree and forming a marriage where both partners have less than a high school degree. I, you gotta forgive me, I, I have a long list of, of statistics and, and really bothered me as I read it to realize just how much of an impact a father can have on a home. But just to summarize it, fatherless children, that is children living in a situation where only mom is present, four times more likely to endure poverty, they experience more behavioral, behavioral problems, they are more likely to commit crime and go to prison, seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teenager, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They run twice as many children in this situation become obese and twice as many drop out of high school. I, the numbers are staggering. Dads, you make a difference in the home. Now, I think the temptation at this point might be to say, well, I, I'm, I'm in my home. I'm there. My children are not fatherless. My wife has not lost her husband. I'm, I'm the man in the house. And while that is true biologically, I wonder how many homes, right, even though dad is present, even though the husband is in the home, I wonder how many times that dad is not functioning as a biblical godly dad and therefore end up acting as a hindrance rather than a help. A, a, we use this term deadbeat dad. Now usually that's referring to somebody that's divorced out of the picture and doesn't pay child support. But I know a lot of dads that are in the marriage and in the home and they are, they are watching their children grow up. But that's about all they're doing. And they're deadbeats. 
they're not functioning as biblical, as biblical husbands, as biblical fathers. And what happens is you become a source of frustration and even bitterness within the home. Now, this is not to say that a, that a woman and the children, that a wife and children cannot excel and grow in that circumstance. Sometimes it does happen. But those are the exceptional cases. The rule is, and I, Brother Adrian can back me up on this. Dr. Ruckman used to tell us this all the time. The pew never rises higher than the pulpit, which is to say the leader in the church, he'll, he should be setting the standard. He should be an example so that others can follow along. And, and I've also heard it said that the dad should be the high priest in the home, which I think is a nice turn of phrase. Gentlemen, if the pew doesn't rise higher than the pulpit, if the leadership sets that standard, then I believe the same thing can be applied to our homes. Now again, there are churches where the members, right? Sometimes you'll find church members that are actually more spiritual and more in love with God than the pastor. But what happens in those cases, the church members will grow, not because their pastor is feeding them properly, right? These church members might read good books or listen to sermons, uh, you know, that are recorded, or they might get fed elsewhere and still be in that church so they can continue to grow. But the Bible says that, that the leaders in the church, they're called pillars, pillars in Galatians 2, the pillars of the church. So what happens is if, if the church grows beyond the pillars, eventually, right, the church members, they start to grow. The pillars can no longer support the growth of the church. You know what will happen? Eventually those church members, as they grow, they'll realize, I cannot respect and honor and follow this man, and they'll leave the church. The church will end up splitting or dying because the leaders did not step up and do what they were supposed to do. They had the name tag, but they didn't live up to it. And I believe the same thing is true in a home. The home gets divided because, in many cases, dad is not stepping up. Biologically, you meet the requirements to say that a man is present. But guys, we don't want to be just men. We don't want to be good men. We want to be godly men. We want to be men, men that our wives and our children can respect and look up to and say, I was able to serve God and know God, not in spite of my dad, not in spite of my husband, but because of him. He helped. So with that in mind, I want to give you three thoughts. Three thoughts. Take your Bible. Turn it to... 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me use a thought from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. A verse I believe all of you will be familiar with. 1 Peter 3, verse number 7. And I'd like to emphasize a couple things in the verse. But my point from this, point number one, I believe there's a lot of wives and a lot of children that can say, I have no man in my life that is interested in me. Interested. Gentlemen, if you want to be a godly husband and a godly father, you need to be interested in those people that God has brought into your life. Verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, 
and as being heirs together, just notice that word together, of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now we'll talk more about the together part in just a moment. I want to emphasize the first part of that verse, dwell with them. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. You need to know them and continually be getting to know them better and better as time goes on. That applies to your wives. It also applies to your kids. In order to know them, you're going to have to ask them some questions. You're going to have to be interested in what's going on in their lives, what they think, how they feel. You're not going to know that if you don't ask. Sometimes the wife and the children are not always comfortable to just come up and start and start pouring out their hearts. Sometimes they need to know that you're interested. And you'll show them that by asking questions. Interested questions. You know, and I'm not preaching against this, but uh, quite a few people, they enjoy watching a good TV show or they follow a particular TV series. You know, some people binge watch certain, certain TV programs. And who doesn't like a TV program that has an, an exciting plot and, and lots of twists, you know, where you, you watch the program and you go, man, I didn't see that coming. I had no idea. And, and we enjoy watching a show that keeps our interest. Gentlemen, can I just remind you that sitting next to you in your home, your wife, she will offer you more plot twist than any program you'll ever find, right? You and I both know that how she feels and thinks one day might change the next day and the next week and the next month. You need to keep asking questions to, and follow along with how this program is unfolding. And I promise you're going to, don't be frustrated when, when things change, when answers change. Uh, learn to laugh with, with her, not at her, not at her, but with her. You know, I find it fascinating. I've been married to my wife. 24 years, 24 wonderful years. And her and I, we still, from time to time, find stories that we can tell each other about our childhood or, uh, you know, generally it's related to our childhood that we haven't told each other. I'm so glad that I get to grow old with somebody that I can call a friend. But you know what's so impressive is she actually still appears to be interested in me. God help me if I don't make time to be interested to what she has to say. You know, I'd like to show you another verse along these same lines. Come to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 and verse 40. Let's get verse 41. John 11 and verse 41. You know, a lot of husbands, I, let's see if I can remember this this story. Yeah, a husband and wife, they were having trouble. So they went to a marriage counselor. And, uh, you know, the wife said, you know, he just doesn't talk to me. And we've been, we've been married 18 years and, and he just doesn't say anything anymore. And the counselor looked at the man and said, sir, is this true? Is, and he said, yeah, that's true. And he said, well, what, why haven't you, why don't you talk to her more? And he said, well, I, th I, was, taught, I was taught it was rude to interrupt. So... What he was basically saying is, my wife's been talking for 18 years straight and I didn't want to interrupt. And You know why 
and, and again, I'm speaking in a general sense. I know not all women are guilty of that, but you know why that happens more often than not? That the w women are known for rambling on and men are known for trying to shut that off is because they're trying to get you interested. They're trying to say something to get you involved in the conversation. They want to know that you're interested. It applies to your children as well. John 11 and verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Watch the end of that verse. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. You know what the Son of God, Son, the, the Son of God said, Father, I'm thankful that you heard me. Can your child say that? Can your son, can your daughter say, Dad, I really appreciate that you're, you're always available when I need somebody to talk to. Look at what Jesus said in verse 42, And I knew that thou hearest me always. Now, I understand the story is dealing with Lazarus and the resurrection and prayer, but I believe that what we see in this example between the Father and the Son of God this should trickle down to our homes. The father was interested in what the son had to say. Dads, it'll do, it'll do so much good for you to sit those children down and just ask them about their day. Ask them what's going on. Ask them to... And, and I know it may be difficult depending on how old your child is, right? Teenagers don't often just open up. But it does help when they know that you're genuinely interested. I, uh, I'm so privileged, so blessed. I'm not just a dad, I'm a granddad. Our oldest, our daughter, married an outstanding young man. I thank God for that young man. Steon has been a really solid, solid guy. And Megan and I, you know, as she grew up in our home, Dad was always busy, running somewhere in the ministry, doing something for someone else, but I got to admit to you, there were a lot of times, a lot of opportunities I missed when Megan was young where I could have stepped in and asked her some questions and gotten in, showed more interest. I was interested. I would have listened, but I didn't take that step. And thank God she's grown. She's married. She has a beautiful little baby, the most beautiful grandbaby the world has ever seen. Chloe just, oh, oh, melt a man's heart. Oh, I, I can't even, I shouldn't think about it while I preach because then my mind just wanders. But if I might just share a little bit from the relationship that Megan and I have been able to develop. So wonderful to talk to her now. Because as a young adult, starting her own family, she, she's, off, she's able to offer me some perspective and some, some retrospect on growing up in, in our home. And one thing she told me was, Dad, when I lived at home, it just felt as if you didn't know me. And as I, look, I thought about what she told me, and, and she didn't mean that in a bad way at all. She's just being honest with me. And I appreciate that so much because now I get to apply that to, to Amy as she grows up, and I get to learn from that mistake. 
You know what I told Megan? I said, Sugar, I, I agree with that. I wish I would have known you better. But I tell you what, it's not too late to start. So what I've been doing is sending her questions and getting the answers to them. And I want to hear what she has to say. I can't wait for those messages to come through. I want to show you something I bought just for the occasion. These are called Dads and Daughters. And on these cards, we have questions. I, I, I don't I think there's a hundred of them in here, maybe more. Let, let me give you an example. Dads, here's something to ask. What kinds of things make you cry? Do you ever cry when someone else is hurting? Has anyone ever seemed sad to you? The other night I sat down with my 10-year-old with Amy and I asked her this question. You know what ended up happening? She ended up pouring out her heart and pouring out her eyes. She started crying and then dad started crying and you know, I, I felt as if I connected with her. You, you know, husbands, get, can I show you this one? 101 conversation starters for couples. Guess who bought this? I did. I did. My wife didn't need to buy that. I bought it because I want to have more conversations with my wife. You know, the simple fact that I bought that shows her that I'm interested. 24 years into this marriage, I still want to get to know her. I want to keep up with that ongoing saga, that ongoing sitcom that is my wife. Be interested. Second thing, let me have you come to Exodus chapter 34, please. Exodus 34. Some wives, some children say, I have no man that is interested in me. I hope that's not true in your home. But here's another statement I believe some wives and some children would make. They would say, I have no man that is involved in my life. I have no man that is involved. There's a difference between being interested and being involved. The man who is interested will ask those questions and he will keep up with the weekly ongoings of his wife and kids but it's taking it to another level when you get involved. You know what's going on. Now jump in and be a part of it. This is where we make memories. Oh, gentlemen. And some of you that are a bit older, you, you can amen this. There's a song we sing, Precious memories, how they linger, how they ever flood my soul. You, you want to be able to look back on the time that you've had with your family and have some precious memories. That's not going to happen if you're not involved. Get involved. And here's the problem. Exodus 34, verse 21. With, with us as men, we get, we get overwhelmed by the number of things that we need to do. For most men. I know that there are some lazy, slothful men, and that's another sermon. But for a lot of guys, and I know a lot of the men in our church here, I, I know how this goes. We have so much on our plate, it's hard to handle it all. We get overcommitted very quickly, right? We, we get involved in work. We get involved with uh, other social activities. And it seems as if the local church and the home, they get the leftovers. Whatever scraps of time we have left, we put it into that. 
Now, gentlemen, I want to be balanced about this. I understand that your job, your career, it does take a chunk of, of your time. I get that. And your wife, your children, they should understand that. But they should also see you making an effort to have some priorities in your life, making an effort to utilize whatever free time you do have to be involved. Exodus 34, 21. This might seem like a strange verse to turn to, but let me read it and then explain where I'm going. Six days, God said, thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. Watch the last part. In earing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. You know what the temptation would be for a man to say, but this is earing time. This is harvest. The fruit is ready to be picked, right? It's time to go out in the field and work. This is the time. I've, I've been on a few farms, and usually when, when it's ripe and the weather is right, you just go get the job done, regardless of the, of the day of the week. God said, listen, I told you on that seventh day, now I understand this is Israel and the Old Testament, but God told them that day you rest. Even if it's earring time, even if it's harvest, even if your job is super slammed busy, God said, I come first. I told you to rest. You know what you do on that day of rest? You enjoy your family. You enjoy the Lord. You see, God is not against you working. You got six days to do that, but He said, there's... There is some time that I have sanctified for you to take a break. There's some time for you to share yourself with your church, with your family, with the Lord. Uh, take your Bible, look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just a few pages to the right. Deuteronomy 6. You see the precedent that we have from Exodus there. God, His command comes first. And I would say, if you, if you look in the Bible at how God put it together, there's, a, there's a, a union, a marriage, right? God, He brought Adam and Eve together. Before He said, Adam, you go, you're going to work the ground, the sweat of your brow. Adam and Eve were together. That marriage, well, that's important. You need to show how important that is by making time in your schedule. Watch Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. All these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. There's a lot of good stuff to get from this. Number one, you need to have the Word of God in your heart. Number two, verse seven, teach them diligently. Don't just teach them, teach them diligently. Don't just have a, a, a quick study here and then, you know, a few months later say another thing about them. Be on top of it. Be faithful about it. Teach them diligently unto thy children. Talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, walkest by the way. Do you see how involved this dad is? As he's going with his children down the path, as he's sitting in the house with his family, as he's getting up, as he's going to bed, there's a conversation that involves the Lord and the Bible. He's involved in his family's life. He is interested in helping them learn, and this causes him to engage with them. 
And when the people in your home realize that you're interested and willing to be involved, you know what will happen? Look at verse uh, 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? When they see that you're interested and involved, they'll come to you with their inquiries. Say, Dad, what does this mean? Dad, what does that mean? Oh, man, dads, that is, that's the best. When they come to you and say, tell me more about God and why you do things, why we do things the way we do them. And then dad gets to share his testimony. Right in verse 21 on down, this dad is supposed to tell his children how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Tell your kids how the Lord brought you out of your Egypt. Your kids probably won't be interested in your testimony if you're not first interested in them. Get interested, get involved. I believe you're familiar, you don't need to look at it. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, the Bible says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nourish them. Warn them. Tell them what God said about every aspect of life that you have access to. Now, the first part of that verse says, Provoke not your children to wrath. I realize there are a number of ways that we might do that. But can I just mention two of them? Number one, being overly critical. And, and I'm not preaching on that today, but I just thought I'd mention that. Being overly critical, expecting more from your children or your wife than than what is rightfully expected, that can be quite frustrating. And I, th I think a lot of dads, I know myself, I've, maybe that's why I'm mentioning it, I have found myself in that category. But I'll tell you another thing I found that a lot of children, that, that provokes a lot of children to wrath, being ignored, which is almost the opposite of being overly critical. Right? Myself as a dad, I, I was a little too hard on them sometimes because I was so interested in seeing them do it right. I got a little carried away. But some dads, they, they overcorrect. They go too far the other way. They show no interest at all. Their kid can do good. Their kid can do bad. Dad really doesn't have an opinion. When the son comes around, when the daughter comes around and says, Dad, what about this? What about that? The answer is, go ask your mother. I realize there are some things mom can answer better than dad. That's not always the wrong answer. Dads, show your kids that you're interested not only by talking to them, but getting involved. Do something with them. Laugh with them. Smile with them. Go somewhere with them. I understand they're not going to share the same hobbies as you, and they may not have the same interests, but you can find something to do together with them. Be involved. You know, one of the best things to do is be involved in the church together. Some, you can make some great memories doing that. One last thing I'd like to show you. I found this very interesting. Come with me to Genesis chapter 31. Genesis 31. Genesis 31 and verse 5. Some families, some wives and children, they would say, I have no man that is interested in me. Some would say, I have no man that is involved in my life. And thirdly, I want to say, some people would say, some wives and children would say, I have no man that inspires me. I have no man that inspires me. 
Again, let me break this down a little bit. Genesis 31, verse number 5. Just going to read a couple verses with you here in Genesis. Verse 5, it says, And said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. This is Jacob speaking. And he refers to Isaac, and he says, The God of my father hath been with me. Jacob's testimony about his own dad was that my dad followed Jehovah. Jacob knew that his dad was submissive to God. Uh, look at verse 29, same chapter, verse 29. The Bible said, it is, this is Laban speaking to Jacob now, It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Now notice the reference. Laban said, But the God of your father. I don't know how Jacob took that statement. But I see some potential there for Jacob to be offended, and maybe rightfully so. Laban didn't say, your God. He didn't look at Jacob and say, your God told me. He said, the God of your father. Laban, obviously a distant relative, he knew that Isaac was a man of God. But he didn't say that about Jacob. Look at verse 42, same chapter, verse 42. Jacob speaking again, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Notice Jacob referring to Abraham and Isaac, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Look at chapter 32, verse 9. Jacob, again, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. Jacob acknowledged that his dad had a God that was real to him. And his granddad, Abraham, had a God that was real to him. Jacob, I want to say, was inspired by the relationship that his dad and his granddad had with the Lord. He knew that that relationship was real, that it was effective, that it changed the way his dad and his granddad lived. Now, here's something I want to point out. As I look through the rest of the Scriptures on this, and maybe one of you guys can help me out. Maybe you know of a reference that I don't know of. I never read anywhere about any of the sons of Jacob saying, the God of my father. Matter of fact, in the book of Exodus, you see the Lord shows up to Moses and says... I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At least God acknowledged it. At least God claimed, yes, Jacob, I was his God. But you don't read of any man saying the God of Jacob. None of his children said the God of my father. You do, over and over again in the book of Psalms, read the phrase, God of Jacob. You will find it there many times. But I believe the way David is using it is to say the God of Israel. He's using Jacob in reference to, all, to the nation of Israel. I don't see any of those contexts where he's talking about Jacob personally as a man. Now, God acknowledged 
that he was Jacob's God, right? That, that Jehovah was his God. So we, I don't doubt that, but the testimony towards his family, it doesn't sound as if they were inspired to draw closer to God, to live for God because of their death. I have no man that inspires me. Gentlemen, in order for you to be an inspiration to your wife, to your children, might I say you need to be inspired. You understand what the word inspired means? It means God breathed, God's breath, that filling of the Spirit, that anointing of God needs to be upon you. You know why we say the Bible is a special book? Because it is inspired by God. The men, over 40 men, wrote these words and then God breathed into the words, giving them life. That's what makes this book different. You know what's going to make you different? Instead of just being another deadbeat dad for the breath of God to come into your life, for the Spirit of God to fill you and to use you. Your children, they may not share your interests or hobbies. They may not follow your career path. You may not be able, you may not understand why they like certain things, right? And that's okay. They're allowed to like something different. Not something sinful, but something different. But by the time they're done living in your home and they move on to the next step of their life, they should at least be able to say, I don't know why my dad likes this and likes that. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of a quirky guy and he's kind of odd. But I know this, he loves God. He loves God. And he loves God so much, it makes me want to love God too. I want to read you something. This is, uh, you guys that are familiar with me, you know this is my favorite missionary, John Patton. This is his autobiography. And I want to close this lesson just by reading you a couple quick excerpts from his book. This is John Patton writing about his, his early days living at home. Bear with me, I'm just going to read a, a paragraph. This is him talking about his father James. Besides his independent choice of a church for himself, there was one other mark and fruit of his early religious decision which looks even fairer through all these years. Family worship had heretofore been held on Sabbath day in his father's house, but the young Christian, entering into conference with his sympathizing mother, managed to get the household persuaded that there ought to be daily morning and evening prayer and reading of the Bible and holy singing. This the more readily, as he himself agreed to take part regularly in the same, and so relieve the old warrior of what might have proved for him too arduous spiritual toils. What he's saying is, there was John Patton, his dad was James. The granddad set all this in motion. And then to continue, it says, And so began in his seventeenth year that blessed custom of family prayer, morning and evening, which my father practiced probably without one single avoidable omission till he lay on his deathbed, 77 years of age, when, even to the last day of his life, 
a portion of Scripture was read, and his voice was heard softly joining in the psalm, and his lips breathed the morning and evening prayer, falling in sweet benediction on the heads of all his children, far away, many of them, over all the earth, but all meeting him there at the throne of grace. None of us can remember that any day ever passed unhallowed thus. Listen to this part. No hurry for market, no rush to business, no arrival of friends or guests, no trouble or sorrow, no joy or excitement ever prevented at least our kneeling around the family altar while the high priest, talking about his dad, while the high priest led our prayers to God and offered himself and his children there and blessed to others as well as to ourselves was the light of such example. You've got to listen to what happened next. I have heard that in the long years after, the worst woman in the village of Tortherwald, then leading an immoral life but since changed by the grace of God, was known to declare that the only thing that kept her from despair and from the hell of suicide was when in the dark winter nights she crept close up underneath my father's window and heard him pleading in family worship that God would convert, quote, the sinner from the air of wicked ways and polish him as a jewel for the Redeemer's crown. Here's what she said. I felt that I was a burden on that good man's heart, and I knew that God would not disappoint him. That thought kept me out of hell and at last led me to the only Savior. This wicked woman would crawl underneath his window and listen to him pray, and that eventually led her to salvation. I want to say that John Patton, this great missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, was inspired by his dad. That man was an inspiration to all around him, especially to his kids. I finish with this one Final quote from John Patton about his dad. Though everything else in religion were, some, were by some unthinkable... Uh, 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 um, forgive me. Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable uh, catastrophe to be kept, uh, to be swept out of memory. Forgive me, my, my eyes are failing me, my glasses, I can't see it. Uh, let me begin again. Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable cat, uh, catastrophe to be swept out of memory or blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet, and hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal, He walked with God. Why may not I? John Patton said, if everything else was taken away from me, there's one thing that I would cling to. My father walked with God. Why may not I? That man inspired his son. Gentlemen, I'm asking you today, your wife, your children, they have a man at home. You're there. But are you the man that they need you to be? Are you interested? Are you involved? Are you inspiring them? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of talking to these men.
I pray that You'd help us, God. We need that breath from on high. That anointing afresh, Lord. There's not a man listening to this sermon that'll ever get it all right. We'll always be able to look back and say, I would have done this or that different, but God, help us to make the most of each moment, of each opportunity we have. Help us to be godly men in our homes. Lord, help us to fill that gap that so many homes are lacking. Lord, help us to be the pillars we need to be in our home. Father, thank you for this privilege. And I do pray that you keep your hand upon these men, especially in these trying times. Give them extra grace and wisdom to handle everything that comes their way. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.